Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. If you would go ahead and stand up, we're excited to be here. Why don't you sing it out with us? Let's go. Do you see what I see? Well, you put your hands together. Yeah. Do you see what I see?
we're excited today. We hope that you know this next one is Christmas. So we figure, you know what? Let's sing some Christmas carols. Am I right? Here we go. You'll probably recognize it. If you know it, sing it. Let's go.
have a seat for just a bit. Y'all feeling good today? Yeah, we're feeling good. Thank you so much for being here and joining us today. Look, if it is not clear, we get really excited about Christmas around here. And thank you so much for singing with us. It really helps us up here when we're all singing together. And y'all sound great. So give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah, you did good. Online, I'm sure you're doing awesome as well. We get excited about Christmas, and we love singing with you guys. And that's why we can't wait to share our big Christmas experience with you all this coming week. And we've been working really hard to get it ready. And we thought you might enjoy a little peek behind the curtain, a little behind-the-scenes look at our preparation. So why don't you check this out? I'm rewriting this, but we'll still put the, you know, same cue in, right? And that is something to celebrate. 20 seconds into the video playing will be the fire clip. When video two starts, you're supposed to take that out. Is video two started? Yeah, Paul's going to noodle for 20 seconds. And we're going to pretend that Brian's still talking. That's to get everybody involved. Break two, three, four. work into our Christmas series and especially our big Christmas experience. But it's not because we want to be known as the church with the best Christmas services or because we want to make our names known, but it's because we believe that Jesus is worthy of our absolute best. We want his name to be known and we give everything we have to give everyone we can an opportunity to encounter the God who gave up everything for them. So let's keep singing to him now because he is worthy.
That's right. Glory to God in the highest. He is holy and mighty and he is worthy of our praise. Thank you for being a part of this worship experience. But for now, you can have a seat as we keep going. Welcome to Pastor Community Church. I'm Tanner Iglio, the assistant campus pastor here. And on behalf of our Powhatan campus, we would love to know how we can serve you. You can come here and you can be anonymous as long as you'd like and attend, but when you're ready to meet some people or ask some questions that you might have, we encourage you to submit a connect card. In order to do that, you can scan a QR code, which is on a chair near you somewhere on a sticker, or you can stop by the information center after the service to fill out a physical copy. We love getting to welcome people into this community, but that's not really just new for our church. That's kind of always been a thing. Like one of the things that made the early church this powerful movement that people wanted to be a part of was the community that they created within it. And it didn't happen just because of the God that they serve, though obviously we're here to learn about him and to worship him, but it also happened because of how they served God and also how they served each other. And because of that, we want to care for each other in that same way now. And if you didn't know, we actually have a care team at this campus that works really hard to do just that. And it's super easy to get involved doing what may seem like little things, like maybe making a meal or writing a card for somebody who's going through a tough time. But those things that might seem little can make a big difference in somebody's life when they need it. So if you want to help us create that sense of community that matters and that impacts people, you can talk to Elijah or myself after the service, or you can fill out a Connect card online or at the Information Center and just write in the comment section, I'm interested in learning more about the care team and we'll reach out to you and you can help us reach people. Thank you. As you saw a few minutes ago, we are fully in preparation mode for our church-wide Christmas experience. There are four times on the 23rd, which is Saturday, and they are filling up. In fact, the four o'clock service is already full completely already, but it's not too late to reserve a seat for one of the other times on Saturday, or you can join us for one of the early bird services this week that are Tuesday and Wednesday at seven o'clock. It is crazy to me, and it might be crazy to you when I think about it, that all of these services, which means Christmas, is happening in just a couple days. Like, it's coming, so I hope you're ready, but we know that it may have snuck up on you too. So if you've made reservations for a service like we've asked, but your plans have now changed, you can return your tickets and open up those seats for some other guests who are trying to get in, which is also super important. So Christmas is definitely coming, but that also means that the end of 2023 is fast approaching as well. And we wanna remind you that we will not be meeting here physically on the last Sunday of the year, which is the 31st, New Year's Eve. We will not be here physically. We are online only that day. So we're still having church, but we're gonna be online. And we do that because we wanna give our dream team, the people that make church happen, they put a lot into this. And we want them to be able to celebrate church from the comfort of their homes for a week. We do have something cool planned for that Sunday. So you do not wanna miss what's happening online. So make sure to catch one of the streams that we have, but we won't be here physically. This time of year, many of us, we like to retreat to our homes and relax in the glow of a Christmas tree or enjoy the beauty of some decorations and we look forward to having people in our homes or maybe being welcomed into someone else's home. We enjoy these warm, cozy moments with blankets and a fireplace, maybe family and some friends. But not everybody gets to have those experiences because some homes aren't warm and cozy. And honestly, that can extend to families as well. 
We recently heard from someone who shared that a year ago, this time of year, her family was actually falling apart. So she took a step and decided to try a PCC service looking for something that could help. And she says that that day changed her inside and out. And now her entire family, her included, are an important part of our church and are inviting others to come along with them. And last weekend, while many of us were preparing for Christmas, like we said, some of our other Dream Team members were being the change outside the walls of our church by doing good in the community. They redid an entire roof in one day and made a home warmer, cozier, and a safe place for a family this winter. When you make a financial donation here, you make homes warmer and safer. And that's physically like a new roof, and relationally as families are repaired. And that's true for people who are here now and people who haven't made it in yet, but are out there and need us just as much. If you've been a part of that, then we just wanna say thank you. But if you haven't been a part of it and you wanna be a part of something that matters and literally changes people's lives, you can start today. You can give online safely and securely, or you can do so physically in a box in the back of the room or in the atrium on your way out. But either way, For everything that happens, God gets all the glory, and without him, none of it's possible anyway. So would you guys pray with me? God, it's true that we get to be a part of what you're doing, but it's also true that you are the beginning of it. You're the start with the love that you've shown us, and you're the finisher of it, God, the one who comes through and provides for us and others when we need it. So God, right now, we lift praise to you, thanking you for all that you've done, And God, we wait expectingly for what you're going to do. And we're thankful that you move for us, God. We're thankful that you love us. And we're thankful that you call us to be a part of it. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Today, we are continuing our unlikely series. And I don't know about you guys, but one of the most unlikely parts of my life can sometimes be my family. Because it's crazy to me how people can be so different, but also be so connected. And with that in mind, we hope that this next song might set the stage for a conversation about an unlikely family. They're there for your first year. They give you your first beer. When you get your heart broke, they're there for your worst year. Get you it all, but your apple don't fall too far from They own too much wicker and drink too much liquor. You'd wash your hands of them, but blood's always thicker. You might look just like them, but don't mean you like them. But you know. Family is family and church or in prison. You get what you get. Family is family 
So I've now been to multiple campuses when we've done that tune, and folks just don't know quite what to do with it. <laughs> so some, some of our campuses, people go crazy, and others are like, wow, that was interesting. So square dancing right here on the PCC platform. Praise the Lord. <laughs> you, uh, you might look just like them. That don't mean you like them, but you love them. Hold that thought. We'll come. It'll make sense in a minute. One of my favorite shows uh, that I used to watch, they don't, they don't make new episodes anymore, <clears throat> was a show that came on a few years ago. It was called Criminal Minds. You ever seen that, that show? Okay, great. Some of my fellow psychotic people who like to watch crazy folks. I'm, I'm with you. No, no, I'm with you. Uh, so if you don't know about it, it's this carefully assembled group of FBI profilers and whose, their job is to get into the head of a serial perpetrator, and they don't know anything about him, really. They don't know his name. They've never seen a picture of him. It's why they call him the unknown subject, or if you're talking in FBI speak, the unsub. And so they would, these guys would study the crime scenes, right? They'd study the victims and the evidence and the patterns, and then in every episode, there was always this turn where somebody would say, I think it's time for the profile. They would gather all the cops around, you know, all the locals, and uh, after pulling all the facts together, they could describe the assailant, his race, his age, his gender, his education, his family situation, even his prior trauma. I watched every single episode. It was fascinating. But it was fiction, right? Not really, though. I mean, the show was fiction. But the reality is that there is an FBI unit called the BAU, the, the Behavioral Analysis Unit, and it really is made up of real-life FBI profilers. Now, I'm guessing that every day on the job is not quite as exciting as every episode. I'm, I'm guessing that every case doesn't put everyone in peril like every episode. But still, the idea is the same. By looking at the circumstances, they can build, a, not just in the show, but can in real life build a profile that is often remarkably accurate. And believe it or not, you and I do this too. Not necessarily with crime scenes, but we all have in our minds the profile of a person based on some descriptor that I would give. For example, if I said to you that I knew a Harvard graduate from law school who was a partner in a New York City law firm, what image do you see in your mind right now? Maybe a guy in a suit, 
a modern office overlooking a stunning New York City skyline. We could go past the image and we could start speculating some other things. He probably drives a really nice car. His kids go to a prestigious private school with the expectation that they're going to then go to college and beyond college. If I was to speculate about his family, I'd guess that he comes from wealth. How else could he go to Harvard? And, and his family probably has some prestige or some influence. Let's, let's try another one. What if I asked you to imagine a farmer? What picture comes to your mind? Maybe a guy on a tractor? He wears a hat to protect his head and his face. He's an early riser. I've never known a farmer that like slept in lazily into the late morning. The skin on his arms is leathery from exposure to the sun. His hands are rough and calloused. I can imagine his family, probably more of a traditional family because my ancestors were farmers, at least some of them. And so traditionally, he would be out in the field. His wife would be at home tending to the kids and the meals in the house. They go to church together. They pray for rain. And they probably come from a family of farmers, right? That's where they learned it. Their parents and grandparents taught them to love the land. One more. What if I told you to think about a royal family? What do you see? Maybe the image is something like this. This is an actual royal family, by the way, from Denmark. Who knew? There's the queen, and surrounding the monarch is everyone else. And and by everyone, I don't mean the servants, but I mean the, the siblings and the children and the spouses. And they have titles like royal highness and prince and princess and the duke and duchess of so-and-so. And the royal family has a profile, right? They're expected to look a certain way. They're expected to look like a royal, dress like a royal, eat like a royal, behave like a royal, like a royal, so that our collective profile matches their reality. Royal families are set apart. They live above. They're in a class all of their own. They're untouchable, really. We commoners, we look at them through bars and gates and long view lenses, lenses hoping to catch a view of this family who's really set apart. Royal families know inherently their imperial lineage from the earliest memory because they're born into a world of nobility and privilege and they're defined by words like sovereign and supreme. I'm too young to remember the birth of then Prince Charles, but I do remember the birth of Prince William. I was 11 and we waited for Diana to emerge from the hospital and show us the next future king, second in line after his grandmother Elizabeth and his father Charles. William would be king one day, but here's the thing. We knew it not because of William. He was just a baby, biologically just a normal human, just like you and me. But the family that surrounded him, that's how we knew. And then William had George, his firstborn, and George turned 10 this past year. I, I looked it up. You can see his 10-year-old royal profile picture. Super cute. But if we look past all the trappings, what we get is an ordinary 10-year-old boy, except for the family that surrounds him. That's the real tell. It's the family that you're born into that determines if you're a royal. It's the family you're born into that determines if you're a royal.
which is what makes the family of Jesus the most unlikely royal family ever. The coming king was expected to be born into the family of a king. But God didn't want to send a message of being set apart, but a reality of being set in and with and among one of us, not one of them. And so in his divine wisdom, and to send a message to all of us commoners, God put Jesus in the most unlikely royal family anywhere. And I want to show it to you. And along the way, I'll show you why it matters to you. Now, we're going to read about Jesus' family today in the book of Matthew. <clears throat> this is far more scripture than I ever uh, give to you on, uh, on a weekend experience. So I'm asking you to stay with me because in about five words, you're going to want to check out. But it'll matter. So trust me. So here it is. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1 goes like this. <clears throat> this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the, was, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. Are you, are you still with me? Anybody here? David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Ammon, Ammon, the father of Josiah, Josiah, the father of Je Jeconiah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel, Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. I wanted to name one of my boys Zerubbabel. <laughs> Susan shut the thing down. Anyways, Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud, Abihud, the father of Eliakim, Eliakim, the father of Azor, Azor, the father of Zadok, Zadok, the father of Achim, Achim, the father of Elihud, Elihud, the father of Eleazar, Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan, the father of Jacob, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus... There were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. Holy cow. That's a mouthful. And that is the royal lineage of Jesus. And it probably doesn't mean anything to almost all of us here today. Just a bunch of names we don't recognize, hard to pronounce. It's a genealogical ancestral record. If I come over to your house for dinner and I say, tell me about you, the last thing I'm looking for is for you to pull out your family tree and take me back 20 generations for the love of God. Please don't. If there's anything we all agree on, it's that genealogies are only exciting for those who are in them. So for my fellow Bible students out there, it's okay to be honest about this. You can even say it out loud. When you come to a list like this in the Bible, you're reading along, trying to be a faithful student, and you get to this list, what do you do? You skip it. No lightning striking. No one's going to spend eternity in damnation for saying it. You just skip it. 
We all ask sometimes, like, what is the point? But at least for this family history, the lineage of King Jesus, there is a point. See, Matthew 1 isn't just a genealogy of Jesus. It is a message about you and me. Maybe we can skip some of the other Bible genealogies and family histories, but you better pay attention to this one because Matthew highlights five people. They're hidden in the crevices of his genealogical wall, but they are designed to shake the very foundations of the entire rest of the Jesus story. See, you don't know it yet, but you are in the unlikely royal family of Jesus. We're gonna look at Jesus as the unlikely king next Sunday on Christmas Eve. But today, Matthew wants us to see his unlikely family. So let's back up from the manger. We're not quite there yet. And let's relook at just some of these 16 verses. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham. Just testing your human history here. I want you to see if you can answer this question out loud. It's okay. Not really going to put you on the spot. Wherever you are, you can just say it out loud, okay? Who was the very first human being ever? Adam. Adam as of Adam and Eve. Adam, no last name needed. They were it. Just Adam and Eve. So why does Matthew only take us back to Abraham? I mean, if this is Jesus' family history, why not go all the way? Why not go to Adam? And in fact, Matthew concludes, you had checked out by then, but when I got to verse 17, Matthew renames Abraham and David a second time. And so what Matthew is trying to tell us by citing these two people in this opening statement, and again at the end, is he's trying to give us a clue. This is a treasure hunt. It's a riddle. It's a puzzle to solve. Or perhaps this is the adventure of a great story that is exciting, which you don't realize yet, and it's personal, which you don't know yet. So first, if you're Jewish, then when Matthew wrote this letter, or now, there is no figure more important in your family heritage than Abraham. He's the father of the Jewish nation. He's the first of Israel's people. He's the beginning of the lineage now, it's a free-for-all with Adam. I mean, everybody traces back to Adam, but Abraham gets singled out, and through Abraham, beginning with Abraham, Israel becomes the chosen people of God. And then there's David. David is the nation's hero, still. A mighty warrior who is a man after God's own heart, as we heard Pastor Elijah teach us last week. No king in Israel had more epic status than King David. So Matthew takes Jesus' lineage back to Abraham and highlights the father of the bloodline and to David, the hero king, to get the attention of a distinctly Jewish audience. That's who he's writing to. And that might right there cause some of us to just check out. I mean, why should I read it? If he's writing to Jews and I'm not, what's the point for me? I don't read books and magazines that are not written for me. I don't subscribe to Women's World. I don't grab popular mechanics when I'm in the line at the grocery store. They stopped sending me offers to sign up for Healthy Eating Magazine for obvious reasons. But hang on. 
Don't jump to some other biblical genealogy to see if you can find a less Jewish writer that includes you because now that Matthew has the undivided attention of his Jewish audience, he's going to wreck their world by invading yours and mine. Now he begins the naming of five people who will upend Christmas, the first one and this one. You don't know it yet, but you are in the unlikely family of King Jesus. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Did you catch it? Something here does not belong. Remember now, think now about Matthew's target audience. They're Jewish people. And Jewish people, especially in that day, only cared about the dads. Women and moms weren't important to them. Your family lineage, your genealogy, if you pulled it out off the shelf, it would only include the men. For Matthew to record a woman here is not just a slight of his pen, it is scandalous. So here's Matthew. He's telling Jewish people about their Jewish predicted, long-awaited Messiah. And he wants to write about it. He's written about it. He's, he's trying to be an author. I, I've been... I'm kind of an aspiring author. I've been working on this book for years. I can't quite seem to finish. So I, I feel Matthew's pitch here. So he, imagine now with me, he finds a book company. We'll call them the, the Kosher Publishing Group, the KPG. And he brings his, his writing out and he says, gentlemen, first I just want to say I'm one of you. We're Jews together. We're brothers, kindred spirit. We're cut of the same cloth. And I have got a book idea for you. This is going to take your company to a whole new level. It'll be Jerusalem Times bestseller for years to come. All right, here goes. Here it is. All right. Are you with me? And they say, yeah, I'm with you. He says, the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah. And he glances up at this stodgy group in front of him, and he notices that they wince at the mention of their nemesis, Jesus. They hate Jesus. Really. So he recovers quickly. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David. Oh yes, David, the son of Abraham. And there's a chorus of affirming grunts from the group in front of him, nodding heads everywhere. everywhere. Abraham, now we're talking. We can get past Jesus if you get to Abraham. So he begins with the family tree, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And now they can hardly contain themselves. I mean, this panel is now a wave of emotions about their common heritage and their pride together about our ancestors. You and I cannot grasp how important these names are to an ancient Jew. We say names like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. It doesn't even come close. These men, Abraham and David, they're more than founding fathers. I mean, Abraham and David are the conduits between their national struggle to survive and the God who willed them into existence in the first place. They'd be moved to tears as, as Matthew says these words, Abraham and, and Isaac and Jacob, yes, yes, yes. Judah, preach it. Perez and Zerah, come on now. Whose mother was Tamar? Come again. <laughs> Some dude leans over and says, did he just say Tamar? Somebody removes his glasses and starts to clean them, not because they're dirty, but just so he can display his dismay. Tamar is a woman. She's not just any woman. Every person reading Matthew's account would know exactly who she is. She shows up in Genesis 38. You should read it sometime on your own. She's a woman who bucked the system. 
She stood up to the status quo, the entrenched social norms, and she did what she had to do to survive. Oppressed by a system where men had all the power and women had no say and no status and no recourse, no remedy. She did something that was literally too racy for me to teach you about today. I'm not kidding. It was so outrageous that she could have been executed. Tamar was a rebel and a rule breaker, but she was also a survivor. And so Matthew didn't have to put her in his account. He could have left her out unless, unless he was trying to say something to that audience and to this one. This is the family history of Jesus the Messiah. And it's a message to you and me that goes like this. The royal family of God's son does not only include rule followers, it also includes rebels too. So if you've ever stood up to the establishment for what's right or fought for justice against the status quo, you are in this unlikely royal family. But Matthew's just getting started. Perez, whose mother was Tamar, He's the great, great, great grandchild, or the great, great, great grandchild is Salmon. And Matthew says in verse five that Salmon is the father of Boaz, whose mother is Rahab. Now, if you're on the kosher publishing group, the KPG, you might could live with Tamar. But Rahab, Rahab takes this conversation to a whole new level. You can find her story in Joshua chapter two. Rahab was a prostitute, not a reformed prostitute, not a former prostitute not a recovering prostitute, not a rehabilitated prostitute. She was on the job, working the street, doing it for a living, an acting, practicing prostitute. (laughs) If you brought your kid to church today, I can't wait for the conversation that you have to have (laughs) on the way home. (laughs) If ever there was a case for kid men, this would be today, right? Somehow, Somehow, Rahab saw God at work and and she recognized the chance to get on the right side of things. So she helped God's people. She put her own life at risk when she did it. Still, if you're a devout Jew, Rahab is not who you want in the king's lineage. So helping God's people is admirable and all, but not enough to overcome the sin of selling your own body, right? So why does Matthew include her? Because he's sending a message. God did not just send Jesus for perfect people. Jesus came for all who have strayed. So if you've ever turned your back on what was right and done some things that you knew were wrong, even things that you would put as the worst kind of sin, committed unthinkable sins, acted in ways that you and the rest of the world thought were unforgivable, Well, your kind is a part of the royal family. And that means that you can be too. Well, now the committee's kind of agitated. Matthew has their full attention. He knows he's on a short leash, so he wastes no time. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Now, this just goes too far. First, we taint the history by including not just one, but two women, and not respectable women, but rebels and sinners like Tamar and Rahab. And now Matthew includes someone who would represent the worst kind of all sin, the mixing of Jewish blood and non-Jewish blood. One of my favorite commentators, his name is William Barclay. He wrote, Jews set the greatest possible value on the purity of the lineage. 
He said, if in any man there was the slightest mixture of foreign blood, he lost the right to be called a Jew, a member of the people of God. Well, that's Ruth. Ruth is a Moabite, not a Jew. Deuteronomy 23.3 says, no Ammonite or Moabite or any of his descendants may enter the assembly of the Lord. But here she is, one of Jesus' grandmothers. Leaving subtleties behind now, Matthew is finding his footing. I imagine maybe he began a little timid, maybe a little embarrassed, but now he's audacious. He's in their face, he's in our faces. And he's saying this, God did not just send Jesus for pure select people of certain royal bloodlines. Jesus came for all people, regardless of whether your family is high society or homeless. Your DNA does not matter so if you've ever wondered if God would dine at your table with paper plates or come into and dwell in your house, which is really more like a trailer or a tent, Matthew's message is loud and clear. You are part of the unlikely family of the king. But Matthew's not done. Jesse, the father of King David, David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. This woman's shame is so great Matthew can't even bring himself to name her. At least he headlines Tamar and Rahab and Ruth, but he hides Bathsheba. That's her name, the name of Uriah's wife. But he didn't need to name her. Everybody knew her, she who shall not be named. David, the king who was otherwise a godly man, had one major downfall a super secret sin, overwhelming lust. And that lust led him to a crime that would tarnish the nation for millennia. See, David took the wife of his most faithful soldier and he raped her. And then he had Uriah killed to cover up the resulting pregnancy. And eventually, David repented. He really was sorry. He really was broken for his actions. But I'm sure that the emotional scars Bathsheba carried, I bet they never left. They never completely and totally healed. When you know that story, you realize that the stain of her abuse is almost visual on the scroll that Matthew wrote on. Bathsheba is here. In the unlikely family of Jesus, so that we can all know this, God didn't just send Jesus for whole people. He came for broken people too. So if you've ever been hurt by someone and the wound never completely healed and you carry the scars and the struggle to recover even to this day, you are included in the unlikely royal family. And then finally, we get to the last scandal, a, a fifth person, all five women so that we would pay attention, but intended to include everyone in the unlikely royal family. This last one is familiar to us all, churchgoer and not churchgoer alike. Jacob, the father of Joseph, Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Mary, the most unprepared mother in all of history. I mean, every parent feels ill-equipped. I raised three kids. I've, I felt the whole time like I didn't know what I was doing. We all know that we fail our kids from time to time. But how would you like to be the mother of the Son of God? Worse, Mary began in scandal 
It was widely considered that she had been unfaithful to her husband. She would have been looked on with judgmental eyes forever by people who just would not believe that a virgin could conceive even if by the hand of God. So Mary is not just here because she's the mother of Jesus or because tradition says she has to, but it, Matthew includes her to send a message to you and me. And if you've ever been ridiculed for your faith, if people have ever laughed at you because of what you believe, if you've ever paid a price for your convictions, then you are included in the royal family. Matthew is sending a message, one confirmed later by one of Jesus' most important followers who wrote the most amazing words. But when the time arrived that was set by God the Father, God sent his son, born among us of a woman, born under the conditions of the law so that he might redeem those of us who have been kidnapped by the law. Thus, we have been set free to experience our rightful heritage, our bloodline. You can tell for sure that you, have now, that you are now fully adopted as his own children because God sent the spirit of his son into our lives, crying out, Papa, Father, doesn't that privilege of intimate conversation with God make it plain that you are not a slave but a child? And if you're a child, you're also an heir with complete access to the inheritance. An heir with access to the inheritance. So this Christmas, know that the family of Jesus is not distant, not higher than, not set apart. His unlikely family story is our story. It's designed to include you and me. And when you give into it, when you commit your life to it, you will think of yourself with a word you've never used before. Royal. Royal. We are children of the King. Praise the Lord. I want you to pray with me right now. God, thank you. Thank you that you didn't come to save us as a project, but as your kids, as your family, as adopted into your bloodline. Today we rejoice as a part of the Christmas story, apart from all of the traditions and trappings that we observe and have fun with, may we remember this year. You came for me, you came for us. We're included in your family. And we praise you for that. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We have a lot in store for you this week. We've gone out of our way to make sure you know all about it. But listen, there are services that are filling up. You want to get your spot and bring a friend. And then next Sunday at all of our campuses, we'll gather on Sunday morning and have church. It'll be an amazing day, an amazing week. You don't want to miss any of it. We'll see you then. Merry Christmas to you.